Last week we started a new series of messages that we're calling Seven Letters. And we're looking to the book of Revelation and we are examining seven letters written by Jesus to his church. And these are seven real uh, churches in ancient Asia Minor that Jesus was writing these letters to. And uh, there are so many principles that we can glean from this. And so I'm excited this morning to be in week number two. Did anybody bring their journal back? All right, got your journal. And uh, let's go seven for seven, all right, with the journals. And uh, we're going to be studying the second church today, the church at Smyrna. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's word. If you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And that Bible is our gift to you. Well, Revelation chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse number 8. If you're there, would you say amen? And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Can we just pause right there? Aren't you thankful for that this morning? that Jesus Christ is alive and well today. The reason we gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is because we are remembering and celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and well, that he conquered sin, death, and the grave, the first and the last who was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shalt, thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death today for a few minutes. I want to speak to this subject from the second letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Smyrna. I want to speak to this subject, pain management. Pain management. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you that we can come together and worship you and lift up your name. God, we believe that you are the God of revival. And Lord, uh, we believe that you want to do a reviving work in our midst, in our city. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live for something that is beyond ourselves and greater than ourselves. And ultimately, we would live for you and your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way today uh, through your word. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words uh, that our church needs this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this service and the services to come. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, as a parent, it's always difficult to watch when your children are in pain. Uh, you never want to see your kids going through a difficult time or they're uh, experiencing some sort of physical infirmity or pain. And several years ago, my youngest daughter, Blakely, she was celebrating a birthday party. And we have this picture uh, of her at her own birthday party. And it always kind of, it makes us kind of smile and it makes us a little bit sad as well because uh, this was Blakely at her third birthday party. And we found out later that she had a double ear infection. She had strep throat 
boat. And uh, you can't really see it in this picture, but she has Band-Aids all over her knees because she had just fallen down uh, a few moments before. So she was having a rough time. But you can see she's trying to just kind of smile and make it through on her birthday. And I saw that picture this week, and I thought, you know, all of us can relate to that. Because we've all had moments and seasons in our lives where uh, we were hurting on the inside, but on the outside, we're just trying to smile and make it through. See, pain is an inevitable reality of life. As much as we can try to avoid pain, uh, we're going to experience pain in life, whether that's mental pain, whether that's financial pain, whether that is uh, some sort of physical pain. Uh, Pain is an inescapable, unavoidable reality of uh, life. You know, Augustine, he put it pretty bluntly. He put it this way. He said, uh, we are certainly in a common class with the beasts. Every action of animal life is concerned with seeking bodily pleasure and avoiding pain. And the reality is, tragically, that's how many people live their lives. I just want to find pleasure. I just want to enjoy life. And whatever feels good, that's what I'm going to pursue. And that's what I'm going to chase after. I'm going to chase after pleasure. And when it comes to pain, I'm going to do everything in my power to avoid that pain. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to experience any pain. So I'm going to run from that as fast as I can. But the question that I want us to consider today is how should a follower of Jesus navigate seasons of pain? How should we carry that pain that we know uh, is going to come in life? No matter how much we try to run from it, we're going to find it. And so how should we respond to that? And to answer that question today, uh, we're going to look at this second church, the church at Smyrna. And Jesus is writing this uh, letter to the church at Smyrna, who was going through a very difficult season. They were going through uh, much pain. And in this letter, Jesus provides uh, somewhat of a template of how we should be encouraging someone else who is experiencing pain. Because the reality is today, uh, you might not be going through a trial, you might not be going through adversity today, but you are either in a trial, uh, about to head into a trial, or coming out of a trial. And so we have to recognize today uh, that even if we're not hurting, how should we encourage and comfort others that are hurting? And Jesus gives us this template here uh, of how we can encourage others that are in pain. You know, the Bible puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. By the way, aren't you thankful that we worship the God of all comfort? And if you are looking for comfort, you can find it in our God, in Jesus Christ. He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. And so God comforts us so that we might comfort others. Uh, I've been uh, in many hospitals and been at the bedside of many people that were hurting and sick. And in those moments, you always want to say something that's going to be encouraging. You want to say something that's going to be comforting. But sometimes we're not sure the right words to say and how to handle uh, that situation. Here, uh, Jesus gives us this template. And the first thing that Jesus demonstrates for us is that he was sensitive. This is the only letter out of the seven where Jesus does not offer correction to the church. This church was hurting, and Jesus knew uh, what they need right now in this moment is not correction. What they need is comfort, and so Jesus was uh, sensitive, but he was also, secondly, he was direct. Uh, He said, you're going to experience suffering, and in fact, Jesus says, you're going to experience more suffering, and so he wasn't trying to sugarcoat their pain. He was saying, "Uh, you will experience uh, suffering, and so he was sensitive. He was direct, but he was also brief. 
This is the shortest out of all the seven letters. Uh, some have called it uh, a postcard to those in pain. Uh, this was a short letter. This is shorter than many Facebook posts that I've seen recently. This was just a, a short letter that Jesus wrote. He was sensitive. He was direct. He was brief. But then the fourth thing that Jesus demonstrates for us is that he was encouraging. Because towards the end of this short letter, this short little postcard, Jesus talks about the hope that we have in the gospel message. Can I encourage you today? No matter what kind of pain you're going through, no, ma no matter what kind of suffering you are enduring, no matter what kind of adversity you might face in life, because Jesus is alive, we have hope today. The Bible says that we have this hope that is an anchor for our soul so that when we are going through the storms of life, we have stability, not in our own strength, but through the anchor that we have in Jesus. And so Jesus gives them encouragement. He gives them hope at the end of this letter. The Bible says in Romans 4, uh, 15, verse number 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I'm thankful today that when we're hurting, we can go to the scriptures and find comfort and find hope for our time of need. Now, a little background on the, on the city of Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus. That was the city that we looked at last week. Ephesus was a very wealthy city. And so because Smyrna was very close to Ephesus, it also was a very wealthy city. Uh, Smyrna is still in existence today. It's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, the city is Izmir in Turkey. This is where the city was located of Smyrna. The thing that you need to know about Smyrna that makes it very relevant to us today, we need to understand that the city was extremely loyal to the Roman Empire. They were very loyal to Rome. In fact, on one occasion, the citizens of Smyrna literally took the clothing off their back, and they sent clothes and food to the uh, Roman soldiers that were out at battle. Uh, they were very loyal to Rome. On another occasion, they were having somewhat of a contest amongst the cities as to who would be uh, the one that would be privileged enough to build a shrine for Caesar and to build a massive uh, temple for Caesar. And it just so happens that Smyrna won the bid. Uh, they were the ones that were lucky enough to uh, build this massive temple to... Uh, worship Caesar, and they would uh, readily say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. They would readily come in. They were extremely loyal to Rome, and they would readily say, Caesar is Lord. You can imagine this was problematic for Christians in Smyrna because they weren't saying Caesar is Lord. They were saying Jesus is Lord. Their loyalty was not to Rome. Their loyalty was to Jesus, which brings us to a very pertinent question today. Where does your ultimate loyalty lie? Many people have a political affiliation that they're loyal to. Many people have a religious tribe that they're loyal to. Many people have an earthly relationship that they're loyal to. But ultimately today, if you worship Jesus and if you follow Jesus, your ultimate loyalty should be to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so the, the church at Smyrna was not saying Caesar is Lord. They were declaring Jesus is Lord. And because of this, they were facing intense pain and intense persecution. And so this morning, as we look to this brief letter today, I want us to see three simple yet, I believe, three powerful principles when it comes to pain. And so if you're taking notes today, three principles about pain. Uh, number one is this this morning. Pain comes with a platform. Now, we live in an influencer culture where everyone is interested in their platform. Have you noticed this? Uh, that everyone is interested in their platform, their following, and how many likes they get and how much social media engagement they have. In fact, uh, CBS News did this uh, study last year, and 86% of young adults say that they aspire to be a social media influencer. On some, le on some level, they want to be an influencer. We're very interested in our platform. We're very interested in, in making a name for ourselves. And while we are interested in a platform, we're not interested 
in pain. But what's interesting is that pain gives us a platform. That, that, that pain is accompanied with a platform. When you are going through a season of pain, uh, you will also have a platform, really, to point other people to Jesus. And we're going to see this in the church at Smyrna, their pain that they were experiencing. C.S. Lewis, he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so God can use pain to give us a platform to steward for his glory. Now, I want us to see three areas of pain that, uh, that Smyrna was enduring. Three areas of pain. Uh, the first area of pain was financial. They were going through a financial struggle. Notice verse number nine. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Keep your Bible open and ready. Verse number nine, it says this. And unto the angel, uh, that was the messenger, that was the pastor at the church, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, uh, these things say at the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Verse nine, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. He, he says, I know your tribulation. And specifically, he says, I know your poverty. Now, there are two Greek words for poor. One is panea. It means that you have a little bit. Uh, you have just a little bit. Uh, you don't have anything extra. Uh, you're not wealthy by any means, but you have a, a little bit to survive. That's not the word here mentioned for poverty in verse number nine. Uh, the word here mentioned for poverty means absolute destitution. It means you have absolutely nothing, that you are completely struggling to put food on the table. And so we see right at the bat that the church at Smyrna, these, these followers of Jesus in this city, they were struggling financially. Well, why were they struggling financially? Well, the economy in ancient culture was uh, very much tied to a religious allegiance. And so if you were to go to a business in Smyrna, uh, they would pledge allegiance to the Greek pantheon. They would pledge allegiance to the Roman gods. And if you did not pledge allegiance to the Greek pantheon or to the Roman gods, then they would say, take your business elsewhere. They would say, okay, well, then you can't do business with us. And so because the Christians were not willing to worship the false gods, and because the Christians were not willing to say Caesar is Lord, they were struggling in this uh, economic system. They were being cut off and being ostracized from this community. And so they were struggling to survive. And Jesus says, I know about your financial pain. I know that this is a difficult season for you uh, financially. I know about your poverty is what Jesus was saying. This church reminds me of the churches in Macedonia that Paul writes to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he says this. Uh, Moreover, brethren, why do you to wit of the grace of God? Uh, we do you to, mit, uh, to wit of the grace of God. He says, I want to bring this to your attention about how uh, God's grace was working in those churches. Uh, bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction... They were going through a difficult season. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, that's that same word that means they had nothing, abounded unto the riches of their liberality, unto the riches of their generosity. In other words, these churches at Macedonia that had nothing, that were going through deep poverty, were still generous. Can I tell you that generosity is not for people that have extra? Generosity is not for a certain tax bracket generosity is for all of the people of God. And, and these Christians in Macedonia were in deep poverty. They had nothing, and yet they were still generous, and yet they still had joy, the Bible says. It says this, for to their power, uh, to, according to their ability, and then I love this part. It says, I bear record, and yea, beyond their power, beyond their ability, they were willing to give of themselves. Uh, they were willing to sacrifice what little they had, and God blessed them, and even beyond their power, they were generous. And so Jesus says, I know to the church at Smyrna, I know you're struggling financially. I, I, I know the condition of your poverty. But then did you notice the, uh, the next phrase that he says there in verse number nine? He says, but 
thou art rich. Did you catch that? He says, I'm well aware of your poverty, but I want you to know that you are rich. What does he mean? You are rich where it really counts. Materially, maybe you have nothing, but spiritually, you need to know, church at Smyrna, that you are rich. Now, now I love this. Uh, one of the most interesting experiences that I've ever had in my life was preaching in a gypsy village in Romania. I remember we pulled in, and we pulled in in our vehicle, and uh, so many people started to kind of run out of their huts, and this was a very, very poor uh, area. Uh, they had no electricity. They had no running water, and uh, uh, the clothing was scarce, to be honest with you, and all these people started running out and, and uh, they gathered together for this little church service and I was going to come and I was going to preach and they didn't have any instruments for music except one instrument. Uh, they were playing that accordion. It was so loud, and people just loved singing and, and worshiping the Lord. And I preached, and they were nodding along, and they just uh, had a great celebration. You know, they didn't have running water, they didn't have any money, they didn't have electricity, but can I tell you what they did have? Joy. Can I tell you what they did have? Jesus. And I believe that Jesus would say to that little gypsy village and that uh, church there, those ga that, that gathering of followers of Jesus, hey, you might be in poverty, but you are rich where it really counts, that you are rich in the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking, that you have what you need. See, we live in a culture that uh, we are constantly being pulled down into materialism and covetousness, and I want what's next, and I want what's new, and I need to have the latest and greatest. But what we ought to do is say, you know what, in whatsoever state I am, I have learned therewith to be content. I'm thankful for what God has given me. And so Jesus is writing this letter to Smyrna. They're in pain. The first uh, area of their pain was financial. They were in poverty. But not only did they have financial pain, they also had relational pain. I want you to see it in verse number nine. It says this, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is some pretty intense language. Would you agree? Now, what Jesus was talking about here, he says, there are people that are blaspheming you. He's uh, not necessarily blasphemy against God, but a, a blasphemy against God's people. They're, 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 they're slandering you. They're criticizing you. They're, they're mocking you. They're rejecting you. They're blaspheming the people of God. He says, those that say they are Jews, but they are not. What he's referencing here are those Jews that were descendants of Abraham by physical birth, but not by spiritual birth. In other words, he's referencing uh, the Jewish people that reject Jesus. The Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. And so there was a group of Jewish people that were rejecting Jesus and they were slandering the name of Jesus and they were rejecting the gospel message and they were hindering the work of Christ and slandering the people of God there in Smyrna. And Jesus says, I know all about this slander that you are experiencing. He, he says, I know that not only are you hurting financially, but you are hurting relationally because these people are speaking against you. If you study the early church, the early church was slandered and accused of all kinds of things. The early church was uh, accused of cannibalism, because the world saw them partaking in the Lord's Supper, which represented the body of Christ. And so they would say uh, they're participating in cannibalism. Uh, the world accused the early church of atheism uh, because they wouldn't worship all of the false gods. And so anytime a natural disaster took place, they would always blame the Christians because they said, you aren't worshiping all the right gods. And so they would accuse them of atheism and cannibalism. Uh, they accused Christians of being immoral. 
because Christians would come together and they would have large feasts together and they would celebrate and enjoy meals together. And so they would say, uh, you're just being immoral and you're living uh, in, in sexual immorality. And so the early church was being uh, uh, accused of all kinds of things. And this is what we need to know today, that if you are serious about following Jesus, there will come a time when some might mock you, when some might belittle you, when some might drag your name through the mud, uh, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And what they were experiencing was not only financial difficulty, they were experiencing relational difficulty. Uh, all of these people were uh, slandering uh, their uh, name and they were uh, spreading all of these lies about them. First Peter chapter three, verse number 16 says this, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, that when we stand for Christ and some might speak evil of us for that, it says this, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, your good lifestyle in Christ. In other words, live your life in such a way that is above reproach. There is a biblical principle that says, let not your good be evil spoken of. There's a biblical principle that talks about don't give, uh, don't be a trumpet that gives an uncertain sound. Don't, don't kind of uh, live in such a, a way that's uh, ambiguous that people don't know where you stand. He says, live in such a way that is above reproach that they will be ashamed that they falsely accuse you. See, we need some followers of Jesus that would refuse to live in the court of public opinion. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to please an audience of many. At the end of the day, I'm trying to please an audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. And so they were experiencing financial pain. They were experiencing relational pain. But then thirdly, they were experiencing actual physical pain. If you study the early church, men like Nero would come along and he would uh, literally light Christians on fire, set them in his garden to be lampposts in his garden. Nero would attack dogs to brutally uh, attack and, and devour Christians. There was a targeted attack on uh, Christians in the early church. And so they were suffering. They, they were suffering financially. They were suffering relationally. They were even suffering physically. See, the Roman Empire drastically wanted to get rid of the church and to destroy the church. Nero wanted to destroy Christians and to destroy the church. But you know, I've had the privilege of standing in Rome and seeing the Roman ruins. And can I tell you, that's all there is. Ruins. But I'm happy to report this morning at the 8.30 service that the church is alive and well and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The enemy will try to devour and to destroy God's work, but we must have the faithfulness to stand strong in what God has called us to do. And so the church at Smyrna was experiencing this kind of intense pain. But you know what it did in Smyrna? This persecution had a purifying effect in the church because all the half-committed people, they were out man, I can't, I can't even do business at my favorite coffee shop because I don't pledge allegiance to the Greek pantheon. Well, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and give in in this area. Man, all these people are slandering me and, and falsely accusing me. Man, I'm out. Man, I don't want to be persecuted. I'll say Caesar is Lord. You know, I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but I'll say Caesar is Lord. And, and what was happening is there was a purifying and purging effect in the church at Smyrna because only those that were truly committed remained. And what they discovered was that their pain was accompanied with a platform. You say, what do you mean? Well, we are reading this letter 2,000 years later, and their impact was continuing on generation after generation after generation. Why? Because pain always comes with a platform. And we can steward that platform for good, or we can uh, reject it and move on. And so we see, first of all today, uh, that pain comes with a platform. But here's a second thought. You ready for number two today? Yes. Pain comes with a promise. 
So not only does it come with a platform, it comes with a promise. Now, this little church in Smyrna was hurting, and Jesus is going to give some powerful promises that would comfort them in their pain. You know, when we are going through a season of pain, uh, what we often do is we're looking for comfort, and many times we're looking for comfort in the wrong places, or we're trying to find comfort in the wrong places. I remember when Katie and I first got married, we had a date night before kids. Uh, we were living in a little apartment, and uh, we went to downtown Disney for a date. And we came back from that date, and something uh, that I ate that night did not sit well with me, and, and, and I was uh, very sick uh, on this particular night. And I remember it was the middle of the night. Kate and I just got married. And I was in the bathroom. I remember vividly, uh, my face was in the sink. And I was just kind of standing there in the sink, and I was not feeling well. And Katie was sleeping, and I was trying to be quiet because I didn't want to wake her up. And I was just kind of staying there in the sink. And then I, I, I saw, in, in, in the corner of my eye, I saw the light come on. And Katie got up, and I thought, good, she's going to come. Maybe she's going to give me some water. I'm thirsty. Maybe she's going to, you know, come. Maybe put like a, like a cold rag on my neck or something. You know, she's going to come in. And I looked over at her, and she had one hand covering her mouth, and she had another hand with a can of Lysol, and she started to spray me with the Lysol can. <laughs> and all I wanted was a little bit of comfort, and what I got was a mouthful of Lysol. I was like, stop it, stop it, you know, go away. And uh, I desperately needed some comfort in that moment. She comforted me later on, but, but in that moment, it was tough. You know, a lot of times when we're going through some pain, we, we really want some comfort, and we look for it in the wrong places, but here Jesus is going to give us some promises that provide comfort. Are you interested in what those promises are? Now, Jesus gives us these promises, <coughs> starting in verse number 8. Notice verse number 8 says this, And unto the angel in the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last. Here's the first promise that Jesus gives this little church. He says, I am eternal. Whatever you are going through is temporary. I am the God that transcends time, that stands outside of time. I am the first and the last. I am the protos and the eschatos. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. He says, I am the first and the last. I don't know what you're going through today, but Jesus says, whatever you're going through, I was there before it started, and I will be there when it's long gone. Amen. Jesus was providing comfort that, that he stands outside of time, that he is the first and the last. In fact, God, notice what he says later on in this same letter in verse number 10. Are you with me today? He says, he says fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Uh, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. So he says, there's going to be more difficulty that lies ahead, and you shall have tribulation 10 days. 10 days. Now, many commentators say that that 10 days was maybe symbolic of 10 periods of time, or maybe this represents 10 years, or some say maybe it means exactly what it says, literally 10 days. But whatever uh, it means, there was a period, there was an allotment of time, which means this, it would come to an end. Can I tell you some of the most encouraging words in all the Bible? This too shall pass. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the first and the last. And he says, I know what you're going through in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so Jesus is providing comfort. He says, I'm the first and the last. I am eternal. Here was the second promise that Jesus told them. The second promise was this. I know all about suffering. Jesus says, I want you to know, I know all about suffering. Notice it in verse number eight. It says, 
These things say the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And here, this is a reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I know that you're suffering and I know all about suffering because the death that Jesus died was the most bloody and gruesome death imaginable. Jesus was saying, I know all about suffering. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter two, verse number eight, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If anyone knows about suffering, Jesus knows about suffering. You know, if you're like me, you have some scars uh, from your life, uh, physical scars. I have some scars on my hand. And uh, you know what's interesting about scars is scars always tell a story, right? How many of you have a scar somewhere on your body? And I have one in particular scar on my hand from when I was in elementary. My parents were not home, and I wanted to make myself some dinner. And I found some SpaghettiOs in the cupboard. Do SpaghettiOs, are they still around, SpaghettiOs? Delicious, yes. Thank you for waking up, Nicole. I appreciate that. And I remember opening that can of SpaghettiOs with a can opener. And those, those lids of the can, cans can be very sharp. And I reach in to pull it out, and I slice my finger. And every day I look at this scar and I remember, no, I'm just kidding, I don't. But you know, scars tell a story, right? My brother Larry, uh, he battled uh, cancer and, and praise the Lord, he came out of it and is cancer free now. But he has an eight inch scar on his chest from the surgeries that he had through cancer. You know, scars, we can look at a scar and it reminds us of pain. It reminds us uh, of a story. And you know, Jesus has some scars as well. His hands and his feet Jesus has scars. Jesus knows all about pain. He knows all about suffering. And so Jesus was telling this little church, uh, time and time again, you'll read the words, I know. I know. And so not only does Jesus say, I know all about suffering, but then he, he makes it even more emphatic and he says, I know all about your suffering. Did you notice in verse number nine? Notice what he says. He says, I know. Everybody say, I know. I know, I know thy works in tribulation. Jesus says, I know that you are suffering. Uh, not only do I know all about suffering, I know all about your suffering. You know, whenever you're going through a hard time, it's nice to talk to someone that has gone through a similar experience. You know, when, you, when you're hurting and someone else has experienced that same hurt, you want to talk to them. And uh, I remember I was thinking, Daniel and Julie just had a baby, and Mike and Amanda uh, just had a baby. And I, I was thinking about when Katie and I first had Liv, and uh, people would, right when she was a newborn, we weren't getting any sleep at all. You know, she's crying all through the night. And, and people would come to us and say, are you getting any sleep? And, and I was always thinking, no, thank you for the reminder. Like, we're not getting any sleep. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, people would ask about that. But every once in a while, I would see another dad of a newborn. And we wouldn't even have to talk to each other, but we just had this bond, right? Like Daniel and Mike can just kind of look at each other. They don't even have to talk. They can just nod at each other and they know exactly what that means. Like, just hang in there, man. Like, like, like we know we're not getting any sleep, but, but I know. I, I know what's going on. And uh, what Jesus is communicating is this. I know. I know what you're going through. The person sitting next to you today might not know. I might not know, but Jesus knows. He says, I know all about suffering, and I know all about your suffering. And when you are hurting, it's good to talk to someone that knows about the same hurts. And Jesus says, come to me, all you that are heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. That we can boldly approach the throne of grace, and we can talk to Jesus, and he can provide comfort and help in our time of need. And so Jesus says, I know. And he provides these promises and uh, these encouragements. And this really leads us to our last thought. Yeah, do you have one more in you today? 
The third and final thought is this. Uh, pain comes with potential. And so pain comes with a platform. Uh, pain, pain comes with a platform. And uh, here we're going to see pain comes with potential. Uh, Oswald Chambers said this. We all know people who have been made much meaner and more irritable and more intolerable to live with by suffering. It is not right to say that all suffering perfects. It only perfects one type of person, the one who accepts the call of God in Christ Jesus. And so in other words, we have, an, we have a choice to make. When suffering comes into our lives, do we want to become more intolerable and rude and short with people? Or do we want to let the grace of God do a work in our lives and, and use that pain as an opportunity to point other people to Jesus? And so when it comes to pain, we can either reject it or we can redeem it. And I want to close today by giving two choices, uh, two choices today that we all have when it comes to pain. Are you ready for them? Yes. Choice number one, you can be fearful. Notice what he says here in verse number 10. Fear none of those things. <clears throat> yes, trials are coming. Yes, difficulties are coming. He says you're going to be put in prison. You're going to experience hardship. But I want you to know, church at Smyrna, don't be afraid. Can I remind us today that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind? So many followers of Jesus today are living paralyzed by their fear. And they're not moving forward. and They're not serving Jesus like they should because they're afraid of what might happen. And Jesus was telling this church in Smyrna that knew all about financial pain and relational pain and physical pain. And he was saying, hey, don't be fearful. Don't live paralyzed by the fear of what might happen. First <clears throat> Peter 5 says this, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Uh, the word perfect does not mean without sin. Here in the context, it's talking about spiritual maturity, that you'll be complete, you'll be mature, established, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so Peter says, hey, you don't have to be afraid at what's going on in the world. You can stand strong and be confident in your Savior. You can be confident in Jesus. And so choice number one today, you can be fearful. But here's choice number two, and we'll be done. You can be faithful. Because notice what he says in verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. How many of you would say that's some commitment? To be faithful unto death to be willing to die, to be willing to give your life for what you believe. He says, and if you do, you'll receive the crown of life. The crown of life is a great crown. It's mentioned several times in scripture. In fact, in my small group this week, we were studying in James chapter one and James one mentions the crown of life, uh, the crown, the Stephanos. We, we typically don't think of uh, a crown today. A crown is reserved for royalty, but really what he's saying here is a crown was uh, the Stephanos. It was the, it was the Olympic games crown. It was a wreath. If you won in, in an Olympic game, you would put the crown. It was the victor's crown that you would wear. And so what Jesus is saying is if you remain faithful, when you get to heaven, you will receive the victor's crown. The crown of life is reserved for those that endure hardship and difficulty. And so he's saying, remain faithful to the end. And then he says this in verse number 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh 
shall not be heard of the second death. What is he talking about here? He's talking about eternal life. If you trust in Jesus, uh, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says that you can be saved. And when you die, you, you will live on forever in a wonderful place called heaven with Jesus. And so he's saying, he's saying, uh, remember eternal things. Remember the hope and the promise of heaven. You know, in AD, in about 155 AD, there was a man named Polycarp. How many of you have ever heard of Polycarp? Polycarp was uh, um, a man that was being targeted by uh, the Roman Empire for his faith, for what he believed. In fact, uh, he was standing strong in his faith and believing in Jesus, and so they were trying to find him to execute him. He was in his home. They didn't know where his home was, and so historically we know that they found a little girl. They found a little girl that knew where Polycarp lived, and they tortured that little girl to find out where Polycarp lived. They went to his home, they mocked him, they beat him, and eventually they burned him at the stake. Before that happened, Polycarp said this. He says, you threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. Talk about an unshakable faith. A man that remained faithful to the end. You know who Polycarp was? He was the pastor or the bishop at the church at Smyrna. And he said those words about 50 years after Jesus wrote the letter to the church at Smyrna. Polycarp was a man that was faithful and stood strong for what he believed. He, had an un he, he said, I'm not going to choose to be fearful. He listened to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, don't be afraid at what's to come. And he wasn't. He was faithful. You know, I want to close with this. Smyrna means myrrh. Talking about the sweet smelling odor. Remember when the wise men came to visit Jesus, they brought, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Smyrna means myrrh. They were, they were famous for this fragrance. Uh, at, at the burial of Jesus in John chapter 19, they used myrrh to anoint the body. You know, myrrh was this plant-based resin, and the only way that you can get it to produce this odor is by crushing it. What a picture of the church at Smyrna. They were being crushed for what they believed. They were being crushed in their suffering. They were being crushed by persecution. But as they were being crushed, they were giving off a sweet smelling odor to everyone around them. Why? Because faithfulness has a fragrance. When we are faithful, it will affect everyone around us and people will see there's something different about that person. There's something different about them in their trial, in their affliction, that they are, they are staying close to Jesus and their faithfulness is giving off a fragrance. And here is my prayer for our church. I don't know what 2023 holds. I don't know uh, what all is going to happen this year, but I'm praying that we would be a church that would be faithful, that we would not operate by fear and be uh, consumed with what might happen, but we will trust that Jesus Christ is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we don't have to be fearful. We can be faithful. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.